It's time to go under the hood with the Indy Fuel. Welcome to a summer edition of the Under the Hood podcast, the official podcast of the Indy Fuel. I am the broadcast voice of the Fuel, Andrew Smith. Glad you've joined us as we take a look at what has happened since the end of the regular season and begin to put the pieces together for 2022-23. Hard to believe that we are coming up on year nine with the Indy Fuel, and it should be a great year coming up. Duncan Dalmeo taking over as the head coach, the permanent head coach, and it'll be his first full season after a really strong tenure to conclude the regular season as the interim head coach uh, taking over for Doug Christensen for the latter third of the 2021-22 season. Got the fuel on the cusp of playoff contention. Unfortunately, they ultimately fell just short. But a really solid finish has led to a lot of momentum in the summer, and that momentum hopefully will carry through into a new year. June is always an eventful month in the ECHL. We'll recap that here momentarily. Later on in the show, we'll have a couple of guests, a couple of interviews I did late in the season and had not had the opportunity to share them on our podcast yet. One was with ECHL Commissioner Ryan Creelan. He stopped by the broadcast booth and the Indiana Farmers Coliseum in one of the last games of the year. And then also Darren Flincham, the Indy Fuel's outstanding equipment manager. He celebrated a milestone earlier this year, 1,000 career professional games. He and I had a chance to talk about that milestone. You'll hear that conversation a little bit later on. But Right now, let's take a look at what's been going on here in the month of June as the calendar flips. First things first, congratulations to the Florida Everblades, the Kelly Cup champions, as they defeated the Toledo Walleye in five games and a series that was much closer than that. A lot of the games were very close one goal contests, but Florida ultimately prevailed and Toledo representing the Central Division drops the championship series, the Kelly Cup final for the second time in the last three seasons that the championship series has been played. And so congratulations to them. After the Kelly Cup was handed out, we flip the calendar to the new year. And that means two things. Number one, teams can start signing players. And number two, teams can extend qualifying offers to players to retain their rights. And we've seen a couple of signings so far for the Fuel. You're going to see quite a few more here in the coming weeks as Duncan Dalmeo puts together the roster for the 2022-23 season. And I think you'll see a lot of familiar faces back with the Fuel. We've seen two signings announced so far, and they're both rookies. One, Chris Van Shaw was acquired late in the season, and we, boy, he was really good playing the left wing with um, Jared Thomas as his center primarily, uh, along with Darian Craighead on the right side. Three goals, three assists in six games, had a couple of big, big goals in the last weekend, a pair of wins over the Cincinnati Cyclones. And he's a guy who didn't score a lot in college, had 15 points in 36 games for American International College this year, but he was a big scorer in junior, in the junior A ranks in Canada, 
where he was the Alberta Junior Hockey League Player of the Year in 2017-18. Matter of fact, he was the Canadian Junior Hockey Player of the Year in the Junior A level that season when he had 97 points and 51 goals in 59 games. And we saw that scoring touch at the end of this season when he came up and signed with the Fuel and uh, looked very, very good. And he'll be a solid building block to begin. The other signing is another rookie, Josh McDougal, who just finished a four-year career at Mercyhurst, a puck-moving right-shot defenseman that, again, put up some pretty big numbers in junior. He had 57 assists and 74 points his last year a junior in 2017-18 in the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League, leading his team, the Nippon Hawks, to the championship in that league. Played four years at Mercyhurst, had 15 points in 39 games this past season. Played five games with the Wichita Thunder as well, and uh, was a free agent and signed with a fuel. And one thing that Josh McDougall is, he's a right-shot defenseman. Those guys are really difficult to find. If you remember this past year, Chris Cameron was the only right-shot defenseman on the roster for much of the season for the fuel. So they had to have a lot of guys playing the offside, left shots playing the right side, which makes the pass a little bit different sometimes on the breakout, makes winning the puck along the boards a little bit different. You've got to do it on your backhand side a lot in the defensive zone. It's great in the offensive zone because you're on your one-timer side if you're on your offside. But in in the defensive zone, it's a lot easier to win pucks, make that breakout pass when you're a right shot on the right side or a left shot on the left side. And again, a right shot defenseman can be a little bit difficult to find at times. So Josh McDougall signing gives the fuel a solid puck moving right shot defenseman who's put up some pretty big numbers in the junior ranks. The Rockford Ice Hogs have also been busy. Seamus Malone has signed with them as uh, Seamus had a real breakout year last year with the fuel with 21 goals and 48 points in 62 games after an injury plague 2020-21 season. He finally got a chance to play a full season, finally got a chance to play uh, healthy, and uh, showed what he could do. And what he can do is be a 20-goal scorer in the ECHL, earn himself an American Hockey League contract with the Rockford Ice Hogs. He's a Chicago-area native from Naperville, so he'll be able to play fairly close to home and uh, obviously be in the Blackhawks organization or remain in the Blackhawks organization, I should say, um, with the Ice Hogs. And it's likely we'll probably see him a little bit this year. Riley McKay also re-signed with Rockford after splitting the year last year between Indy and Rockford. Only played four games at Rockford, but had a number of trips up and down and um, had 192 penalty minutes and 27 points in 51 games. And he was a shorthanded scoring machine for the fuel last year. And hopefully the play that he had last year in Indy will earn him a few more looks at Rockford uh, this year and, and more of a regular opportunity, kind of like what we saw with Cliff Watson last year, where he earned essentially a regular full-time gig in Rockford last season. And with Riley McKay, I think you'll continue to see that evolution of his game. And uh, he can bring a lot to the table, especially as he develops into that power forward, a guy who can drop the gloves, he can defend his teammates, but he's also really difficult to handle around the net and has a nice little scoring touch, double digit goals last season. So, uh, that's a guy to keep an eye on. And one of those players that you hope we see because we love having him, but you hope we don't see because that means he's earned 
opportunities at a higher level. And it's something that we've seen a lot. And we talk about this with Seamus Malone. He follows in the footsteps of guys like Matthew Thompson and Dmitry Osipov and Cliff Watson, who were on ECHL contracts with the Fuel, impressed the brass in Rockford, and earned themselves American Hockey League contracts and opportunities at the next level. And that's what the three-tier developmental system is designed to do. Allow players an opportunity to show what they can do in the ECHL and earn a contract at the next level. And obviously with those guys, we've seen it happen in the organization with guys like Brent Gates. We've seen it happen outside the organization or Tommy Apap with Milwaukee last year, Brent Gates with San Diego. Those came outside the organization, but still opportunities to move up. And as players see, hey, look, I go to Indy, I'm going to get noticed. I'm going to get an opportunity that helps the fuel recruit players to Indianapolis. You don't just have to rely on the great city that we have and the great opportunities that you have when you get to live and play here in the Circle City. You're essentially getting a chance to live and play in a major league city. You're also in an area where you know that you're going to get seen and you're going to get an opportunity to potentially get called up to the next level. And uh, that's a feather in the cap of uh, what the fuel have been able to do and what they've been able to build and the organizational relationship that the fuel have with the Rockford Ice Hogs and the Chicago Blackhawks. A couple of other Signings of note for Rockford. And generally, when you see guys signed AHL contracts, that's the pool of players that often get assigned to the fuel, especially if they're rookies. Goaltender Mitchell Weeks played three playoff games with Wheeling last season after playing with Sudbury in the Ontario Hockey League. They really liked him in Wheeling. He had a 929 save percentage in the three games he played for them. He was signed by the Ice Hogs. And also, this will be a familiar name, signed this week, Andrew Parrott, a defenseman. And you might know that name. By the way, he's another right shot defenseman because his father, Nathan, played a season and a half for the Indianapolis Ice in 19, from 1997 to 99. In the 1998-99 season, Nathan Parrott scored some big, big goals and made some big, big plays as the ice defeated the Cincinnati Cyclones, really upsetting them in a first-round playoff series and then pushed the Detroit Vipers to the limit as well. Nathan Perrot was a heck of a player here in Indy and parlayed that into a decent career. He played about uh, 80 or 90 games in the National Hockey League, mostly with the Maple Leafs. His son, Andrew, is signed with the Ice Hogs and there's a chance we may see him in Indy as the year goes on. As we say, that pool of players that is signed to AHL contracts, that's generally who the players from Rockford that get assigned to Indy uh, come from. So also, I think a guy we probably won't see much of because we didn't see much of him this year is Cliff Watson has also re-signed with the Ice Hogs. And uh, this is his second consecutive year on an AHL contract with them after signing a number of PTOs, professional tryout offers with them a year ago, signed over the summer, played most of the year with them, did come down to uh, play a few weekends with the Fuel this season, but uh, was a mainstay in their American Hockey League lineup and uh, likely will be so again. There's a lot of procedural stuff that goes on in 
the month of June. You have the protected lists. You have the end of season rosters. You have some future considerations trade. And the Fuel did make one future considerations trade. And so we'll talk about that here in just a bit. Well, they received a player. They've lost a couple of players as well. But the protection list is basically a procedural move from that list and from the guys who played on your team this year on ECHL contracts. You have to complete the trades that you had made. And the Fuel lost Jared Thomas to Norfolk in exchange for Chase Lang. He was the future considerations there. That was a trade that was consummated essentially before the coaching change. And the Fuel had to make good on that trade where essentially the Fuel got Chase Lang for a ultimately a playoff push that came a bit short. But Jared Thomas was the collateral, the return, if you will, going back to Norfolk after the season. Same thing with the Maine Mariners. Michael Lackey goes to Maine in exchange for Bryson Martin. He was the remaining futures that were owed in that deal. The Fuel also received Brendan Locke. He is a five foot ten forward, another rookie left shot forward from Cornell, where he had 18 points in 32 games this season. Played 16 games with Trois Rivières after the college season ended and had three goals and six assists. Also had three points in four playoff games with the Lions. And it is the most bizarre set of future considerations trades. But essentially ping-ponging around through several trades, Brendan Locke ended up here in Indy as the future considerations that were owed to the fuel as the last part of the Mike Lee trade uh, from Kansas City. So June 16th happens. You can begin signing players. The Fuel have announced two signings. And just to let you know, this is pretty standard practice for ECHL teams. They have until June 30th to sign any of their players and not have to put them on the qualified offer list. And I'll explain that here in a moment. There may be players who were signed before June 30th, but they have not been announced yet. That's pretty common in the ECHL. So if your favorite player is not on the signed list or the qualifying offer list, that player may be signed. It's just that that announcement may not have happened yet. And again, that's pretty standard throughout the league. But as those get announced, follow the Fuel's uh, social pages, and we'll probably do another podcast where we'll catch up on some of the moves that have been made. The qualifying offer list has been released. These are players for whom the fuel have issued what's called a qualifying offer. So they have made a contract offer to them and those players have not yet accepted that offer and thus signed with the fuel. You can extend qualifying offers to up to eight players. If those players are veterans they are essentially free agents by the middle of August. So you essentially give yourself a one-month negotiating window with them before they become free agents. If they are not veterans, which means they've played less than 260 professional games, you retain their rights for a year. So these may be guys that have announced, and we'll mention this here, Mitch Gillum is on that list. He's already announced that he's playing in Europe next year, but... The few will qualify him so they retain his rights. So if he comes back to North America at any point during the season next year, 
he would come back to Indy because the fuel would maintain his rights. So um, they may be players that the team is negotiating with. They may be players that are maybe deciding whether or not they want to play next season or they're seeking AHL deals and thus haven't signed yet because they're trying to test the market and see what's out there. But defensemen Dominic Dockery and Jordan Schneider are on that list, as well as forwards Darian Craighead, Chase Lang, Carl Elmer, and Tommy Apap, and we mentioned as well Mitch Gillum. So those players, the Fuel, will maintain their rights for one year. Spencer Watson is a veteran now, so the Fuel will maintain his rights essentially till the middle of October, and so he was also qualified. Any player that is unsigned or unqualified becomes a free agent, and so you'll see a handful of players go into the free agent pool Some of those guys are guys that um, are seeking American Hockey League deals, and um, we may see them come back, but they're on the open market. They can sign with any team. And we look at that qualifying offer list, and you notice Tommy Apap is on there, and no, we didn't see him after December, but this way the few will maintain his playing rights And even though he uh, stuck with the Milwaukee Admirals, if he comes back to the ECHL, he would have to come back to Indy or a team would have to trade with Indy to get his rights and the fuel would get something for him. And of course, he's a really solid faceoff guy and penalty killer. And you can see why he stuck this past season in Milwaukee. So that's a look at some of the nuts and bolts of the ECHL offseason. And again, stay tuned to the Fuel social media channels. Casey McGaw is doing a great job promoting the Fuel and letting you know what's going on during the summer. And she will continue to let us know of the signings that take place as they take place and as they are announced. And also, we'll likely catch you up with a podcast or two to just recap some of the news that's going on throughout the year. Want to as well send out a congratulations to the Colorado Avalanche, the Stanley Cup champions, and a couple of local connections on the Avalanche. Defenseman Jack Johnson, a longtime NHL veteran, finally gets his name on the Stanley Cup. Born in Indianapolis, I believe he is the first Indiana-born player to get his name on the Stanley Cup as a player. And so congratulations to him. John Michael Lyles, born and raised in Zionsville, grew up here in central Indiana, um, and of course played a lot of his minor hockey here before going up to Culver and eventually to the NHL. He is retired, but works with the Avalanche as a uh, analyst on their TV broadcasts. And so uh, congratulations to him as well. A couple of Hoosiers, part of the Stanley Cup champions. Jack Johnson is a player, John Michael Lyles, kind of more on the periphery, but still certainly uh, very much a part of the Avalanche organization after having played for them for a number of years and now working as part of the uh, TV broadcast for them. So uh, pass along our congratulations to them, as well as to the Chicago Wolves, the American Hockey League champions. Now, let's move on to our guests. Our first guest is the commissioner of the ECHL, Ryan Creelan. Ryan stopped by our booth during the Fuels game against the Toledo Walleye on April 13th, the last week of the regular season, and we had a chance to catch up on a lot of different topics facing the league, including the upcoming expansion to Savannah, Georgia, 
where the ECHL will add its 27th team this fall. Here's the commissioner, Ryan Creelan. Always good to see you here in Indy. Yeah, no, uh, uh, it's been a long time. You know, with the pandemic season last year, we were happy we were able to pull it off, but I didn't get around to many games. So uh, first time back in Indy in probably about two years. And you mentioned the pandemic season last year. Of course, two years ago we had the season cut short. Last year started a little, a couple months later. We're the only North American Professional Hockey League to get in a full season awarded the Kelly Cup, and now finally back to the normal schedule this year with the full league participating. How nice has it been to really get back to a normal year and get all 27 teams back in action this season? Yeah, well, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, we were proud of what we were able to accomplish last year, starting in December, getting the full season in. But unfortunately, only uh, 14 of our teams able to participate. So... To get back to this year, welcome all 27 teams back uh, and get kind of back onto a normal schedule. Really rewarding, and the fans have really turned out across the league. Um, you know, going into the year, still dealing with COVID, knew it wouldn't be perfect. We uh, unfortunately aren't, uh, did have a few teams lose a few games, but again, able to work through it, and on the whole, very happy that uh, here we are in April. And how much of a challenge has these last couple of seasons been for you having to deal with rescheduled games and just working with the teams to work through some of the challenges of uh, of the virus and in some of the outbreaks that we've had over the last couple of seasons yeah i don't think you got enough time in this intermission to, <laughs> to go through all that but you know it was literally living day to day trying to work through the covid situations and cancellations and mind you uh like for instance we're in 20 different states two canadian provinces different rules for cross-border different rules in different jurisdictions so uh, lots and lots of moving pieces, but you just try and assess all the information and take it day by day. Uh, you've been the commissioner through what has really been a, a really stable time and a good time here for the league where we've seen a number of really solid franchises. The league's makeup pretty much stays the same year in and year out, and we've added two really solid new teams in Trois-Rivières and Iowa this year, and now we've got another one coming in at Savannah next year. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's about stability and growth, and uh, we certainly have had our challenges, but that's you know a big part of my job to focus on, and uh, the pandemic didn't make it any easier, but to be able to come out of that, welcome two new expansion teams, and also add Savannah, uh, you know, we're already knee-deep in planning for 22, 23, 28 member teams, uh, nice division makeup, seven, uh, excuse me, four, four divisions of seven teams. So, uh, pretty cool to see that come to fruition and, uh, gotta keep working at it so we can keep this league growing. And we, we talk about growth. It's not just growth in terms of adding markets, but growth within the, the 28 markets you now have where we just continue to, to grow the game and each individual franchise does so not just by selling hockey here with the 36 games that we all have, but also in our communities. Yeah, well, a big part of our business model is being out in the communities year-round, making sure that we're giving back to those who support us and growing the game. I mean, the fuel tank here, uh, you know, you guys do a great job in helping to promote hockey, and we're trying to replicate that in a number of markets. In fact, we have a couple others that are you know, kind of mimicking Indian building uh, practice facilities, youth rings, to build the game uh, at the grassroots level. 
uh, and, and as well, especially in the South. That's really the ECHL's ancestral home is in that South division where you've been able to grow the games in what we would consider non-traditional markets and turn them into places like Greenville and Estero, Florida, Jacksonville into really rabid hockey towns. Yeah, no no question. And mind you, if you look back at, uh, you know, I guess ancient ECHL at this point, but some of those markets even became NHL markets. Mm-hmm. So Raleigh, Nashville, uh, Atlanta first in. So you know, the, the ECHL's roots are in the south, and, you know, we've, we've brought non-traditional markets, uh, professional hockey. Describe what... Um you know, what you're hoping to to do as far as growing the league and uh, continuing your partnerships with the National Hockey League and American Hockey League in the future? Yeah, I, I mean, the COVID has made the past couple of years uh, difficult and maybe taking all, our eye off some of those long-term goals to work through the short term. But uh, we've continued to grow our relationship with the NHL and the AHL, continue to welcome more uh, of players who are on contract in those leagues into our league. And, you know, that takes time in general. And as we look at the league growth, we talked about going from 27 to 28. I would certainly love to see that go to to 30. And as we just talked about, too, uh, on the business front, welcoming new fans to the game so that we can grow more fans into attendance, creates a better atmosphere and environment. The players love it. The fans love it. So our job is never done. Uh, We're looking at growth on multiple different levels, and uh, we're at it each day. This is the eighth year that Indy has been in the league. What does this franchise, what does this this city bring to the ECHL? And being kind of a major league city right in the middle of what's a really solid division. Yeah, no, no question. Uh, you know, great for our central division in terms of geography. You talk about it being uh, a major professional city, has an NFL team, has an NBA team. So uh, really helps put the ECHL on the map and great ownership as well. Uh, you know, gotten known uh, Jim Hallett and his family over those eight years, um, and you know he wants to see this team succeed in this market, which is just so special. Uh, great management as well. Great relationship with Larry McQuarrie. Uh, he serves as our vice chair on our our board of governors. So, um, you know, I know difficult year on the ice, but uh, this membership is certainly headed in the right direction. Well, you've got the Kelly Cup playoffs coming up, and unfortunately, the Fuel will not be able to participate this year. But always an exciting time. And you know, last year we had the compressed playoffs. The year before we didn't have a postseason, so. How nice is it going to be to get back to the normal four rounds, 16 teams, best of seven, and, and how special is this time? Yeah, well, this is the most exciting time of the year, and uh, you know, uh, looking at the standings, uh, we've got races in every division, which uh, from a planning standpoint is not great, but certainly from an excitement standpoint is amazing, and you know, lots of markets still in it, and as you talk about, this year we'll have the full roster of 16 teams, four rounds of seven, and... Uh, yeah, again, it just feels nice to get back to normal. Your home base is in New Jersey. How often do you get a chance to get out and, and visit the rinks around the league? Yeah, so, I, I, again, the past couple years have limited that. In fact, I only went to one regular season game last year, certainly a bit more in the playoffs when COVID was uh, lightening up. Um, but in a normal year, I try and get to each market each year. Uh, unfortunately, that didn't happen again this year because we did have some COVID stints uh, on a couple of different levels. But I think I'll make about 20, uh, 20 of our 27 teams this year. As commissioner, we see how many players this league sends, obviously to the American Hockey League, but also to the NHL. How much pride do you take 
every time you see an ECHL alum make his NHL debut? Yeah, I mean, that's what it's all about. We pride ourselves on being developmental hockey to the AHL and NHL and giving our guys an opportunity to hone their skills and move up. So if that's happening and they're making their debut in the NHL, it means we're doing our job and giving them their, that opportunity. And, uh, again, that relationship with the NHL and AHL teams, they continue to send uh, more of their players to us. So I think you're going to continue to see that number rise. Uh, it's been It's been great. We really value our membership and association here in the ECHL and are looking forward to many years to come. Ryan Creelan, Commissioner of the ECHL, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, no, my pleasure. Uh, broadcaster of the year to, to get interviewed by. It's uh, <laughs> always a pleasure on my end. Well, it, it certainly was an honor to be to be honored by the league and uh, means a lot when when your peers and the team presidents uh, recognize that it certain it certainly meant a lot for me to uh, to be so honored by the league and uh, and thank you on my behalf to the league for that yeah no 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 well wanted to make sure we recognize it here well uh, thank you so much Ryan Krillin for joining us and enjoy the rest of the evening all right sounds good thank you thank- that's ECHL Commissioner Ryan Creelan who joined us in the broadcast booth during the uh, Fuels game against Toledo the last week of the regular season. Our second guest, and this is an interview I've wanted to have on the podcast and just hadn't really had the opportunity to get it out yet, Um, and that's with Darren Flincham. A very special conversation for me because Darren and I have known each other really since the beginning when he was an assistant equipment manager with the Indianapolis Ice, and then he went down to Jacksonville with Bruce Cassidy, to become the equipment manager down there with the Lizard Kings and actually one of the players on that team, Duncan Del Mayo. And so the hockey world is very small and comes full circle. And uh, he came back to Indianapolis with the ice in the Central Hockey League and has stuck ever since with the ice in the CHL in the United States Hockey League for 10 seasons and then from day one with the Indy Fuel. He has been a fixture in the local hockey scene. And the one thing about Flinchy is he is one of the most beloved people, not just here in Indy, but really throughout uh, throughout the league and throughout the, the minor league hockey world because of the number of players and coaches that he has had a chance to work with who really, really appreciate the hard work and the dedication and the humility that uh, that Flinchy puts in, and uh, really enjoyed doing this interview earlier this season in February. Flinchy celebrated his 1,000th professional game that he worked as the Fuel traveled to Orlando, and the Solar Bears did a really nice video montage for him. The following week, we did the same, uh, producing a video montage for uh, for Flinchy. Uh, to honor him at the Indiana Farmers Coliseum. That's a thousand pro games. That does not count the 10 years he worked in the junior USHL where he worked another 600 regular season games, not to mention the years working in the World Junior A Challenge for Team USA uh, that he did during his time in the USHL. And so he's done a thousand pro games plus, but... You can probably add another six, seven hundred on top of that as well. Uh, but I want to congratulate uh, Darren Flincham 
on that milestone as he has been, as we mentioned, a part of the local hockey scene, either as the head equipment manager. He's been the head equipment manager for Indy Hockey Team since 2000 and will be entering his 23rd year in that role and going back as an assistant equipment manager um, going back to the mid-1990s. And so here is our conversation with Mr. 1000, the Indy Fuels Equipment Manager, Darren Flincham. You and I are two of the people who've been around since day one, but uh, how special has it been to look back and be able to reach this milestone of a 1,000 games in professional hockey? You know, it's been, it's been really outstanding. I, I kind of look back recently and just thinking I'm the longest tenured equipment guy here in Indianapolis history of hockey. I believe so. I'm not wrong there. Uh, it's been, it's been a, it's been a whirlwind of, uh, games and, uh, over the years of different, you know, you meet different people and different players. You see players come and go and it's just, it's been, it's been remarkable in my, my area. I think a, a lot of what you do is behind the scenes, but. The uniforms, the sticks, everything that uh, taking care of the gear, everything that happens behind the scenes, you really have a hand in. Just describe what a typical day looks like for you and helping support the players and making sure that practices and games are able to happen. Yeah, you you come in early in the morning, you check in and you you get set for the morning skate and you got you know you got anywhere from water bottles and laundry and a particular skate hollow that a guy will want and you think you're done with the day and here comes a guy carrying a pair of skates to get them sharpened up before they go on the, on the ice but you have you have many and many many stuff to do before any game is played out of a day usually it's a on a game day it's usually uh about a 16 hour day i don't leave at all during the, on game days because i just want to make sure everything's done in, in a timely manner and then obviously as well you're the one who deals with the uniforms so we get a new player in you're stitching the new name on the uh, on the sweater and and making sure that uh, their gear is taken care of and um and describe what what that's like and also getting everything ready for a road trip as well Usually when we get a player coming into town, for instance, like if we, if we make a trade yesterday and the guy's on his way here, I'm giving his contact information and I'll call the player to get all his helmet, gloves, pants, sizes, gear, uh, uh, sticks that they use and what hollow they use on their skates and they get them set up and ready to uh, go as soon as they come into town for the, the next following skate the next morning or, you know, that game night. Maybe they'll come in at 5 or 30 at night and, he throwed right into the game, and he's got to be prepared, ready to go on the ice for pregame warm-up. And then you look at, obviously, that for a home game or a, for a practice, but also when you go on the road, you've got to essentially kind of move a small village, and I know you're the point mm-hmm. person in that. What is it like to get everything packed up and load up and then unload once you get to, to the to the venue for a road game? That's a good question. When, this is, for instance, if we go overnight, we'll drop the guys off at the hotels. Uh, sometimes, like at three uh, thirty in the morning, me, the trainer, and the bus driver. And uh, if I have any help with me, we'll turn around, and go back to the to the arena. We will unload everything, set it, uh, unpack every bag, which there's usually about thirty bags, and set thirty socks, laundry out, and any skates. Throw fans on the gear so it dries, and we'll go 
close up, go back to the hotel, sleep the night, get back up for breakfast, and usually get back to the rink the next morning about an hour before the guys arrive at the uh, the arena there for the morning skate on a, on a game day. Then once they got, do their morning skate, they usually leave. We reset the room again for the game, and we go back for to the hotel for, for lunch, and once again we're back about an hour before the guys are to prepare for a game. This has kind of become a family thing for you. Your son Jake is your assistant now, and I know your son Luke has been working with the team in various capacities uh, as a locker room attendant. Uh, how special has that been for you to be able to share this experience with your two boys? Been really, really special because um, Jacob is uh, kind of getting a niche to follow me, maybe say in my footsteps. But uh, I'm trying to get him trained to where he can venture uh, venture off and get his own team here. With if not this year, possibly next year, and uh, hopefully down the road when I'm ready to retire of hockey, he can come in and be the head guy, and maybe uh, we can flip flop and be his assistant of the evening for game days, and then have Luke on the. Uh, other side with the visitors, uh, a lot of teams really, really like Luke, and I'm always, you know, told that he's a very good kid. So I've been really, really special to have my two boys work with me there. And, you know, a lot of guy, uh, teams don't let uh, family work like that, but you know, hockey's a small world, and it's usually a family thing. And uh, it's been, you know, honor for back to the ice and the fuel to have my two boys with me working. How special was it to be recognized by the team and have them send you to the Daytona 500 this past weekend? I was numb from that. I was not expecting it. You know, we rolled in town there in Orlando, and Jacob happened to say, Dad, we could go, could have went to the 500 on Sunday. I said, Jacob, it's not till May. He said, no, the Daytona 500. And wasn't even thinking I'm a big NASCAR fan that we could have went and scout tickets or something to go there. Then then I'm more called in the room that morning of, and, you know, Doug presented a couple things, and then he turned it over to Tex, and Tex said that, you know, they all chipped in and get us uh, Daytona 500 tickets. And then also to include Jacob on that, that was very, very special. Probably would have never, ever been able to go outside of that. How did you get started? You began in 1995 as an assistant to Jim Stuckey with the Indianapolis Ice back in the International Hockey League. How did you get started and and continue on in this journey uh, that's now lasted 27 years that's 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 funny that you asked that i was always a, a fan here back to the checkers that started in 81 and followed them for a while there and and then uh, you know it was a year there i think there was no hockey here in town i played a little bit of youth hockey and a little bit of men's league but nothing you know other than that and uh, then one year I got a season ticket holders for the Indianapolis Ice and the IHL, which was the farm team at the time with the Chicago Blackhawks. And that's where you've seen Dominic Koshik and Jimmy Wake come through here as the goalies. You know, anybody that knows anything about hockey here in, in, in Indianapolis. And also Bruce Cassidy, which also played here with Indianapolis and happened to, uh, tear his knee here, had to retire. Was th- he put himself in the front office. Then, when, then he was started to get interested in coaching. He was down in Jacksonville in 97 to 98, and he was looking for equipment guy, and it's, you never know who you, who's watching you. And I was an assistant here under Bruce when he played. I applied down in Jacksonville, and, and I got the call by Bruce Cassidy. He brought me down there in 97, 98 season. He stayed that season with me and was able to come back to the IHL. I stayed one more year down under Brian Curran and we, uh, uh, I did that season in 98, 99. And so happened 
Duncan Dalmeo was an assistant, uh, uh, not assistant, I'm sorry, uh, rookie that year down there. And well, he was one year with me there, and then we lost touch with each other. And, you know, today Duncan's now our assistant coach here. But uh, I'll go back to that. Bruce Cassidy play, uh, left there, come back to Indianapolis, and I didn't want to go back to the third year to Jacksonville. I come back here, and Jim Stuckey told me he was going to go to the Cincinnati Mighty Ducks and that this would be coming open. And I thought I'd, you know, give uh, Brad Berry a call. And before I was able to call Brad, Brad called me to come in, in for an interview here. Again, you never know who's watching you. I worked under Brad as an assistant, and Brad hired me here as the equipment manager. And that was uh, Jim Hallett's uh, team he had uh, purchased from Horn Chen and brought me in to be equipment manager. So me and Jim won the uh, Marin Cup in 99-2000, and that was a very special year with me also because Jacob was born uh, 10 days before that championship. And it went from there, and I went into the USHL, did 10 years of that, and 10 years of that to to where we're at now with eight years in the uh, Indy Fuel. Uh, your time with the in the USHL also included working with USA Hockey and being part of a uh, kind of the World U18 Select Challenge. What uh, what was that like? I know that was something you really really enjoyed. Yeah, it was an honor to do that. I did seven years of that. We won it five five times and got five gold medals, two bronze out of it. And it was really really special to be uh, able to honor the work for your your country. I met a lot of USHL kids that's come through here and left. And a lot of NHL players is playing the game now today. And one of the guys that was on one of my select teams is now is Seamus Malone, which is on our team now, was on one of those teams too. It was very special to have Seamus with me now this year and also last year. Uh, you mentioned guys like Duncan Del Mayo and Seamus Malone that you've worked with in the past and now are back with. And obviously we've had a number of, uh, of ice players come through as well and uh, playing back with the fuel and, uh, Joe Sullivan and Tim Shoup and, you know, you go on down the line as far as some players that have had a chance to come back. Is it really nice to build those relationships and then get a chance to work with players again? Of course, of course it is. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, uh, NHL players that played here in the USHL and that I'm still friends with one of them today. And that's Tory Krug. I could call Tory Krug and in two minutes he'd call me right back and just, you know, just to see how everything's going, this and that, not even calling wanting anything from me. Just touching base with me, seeing how everything's going, and there's a couple guys I still keep in touch with. Uh, and you got your start working with Bruce Cassidy as a player, and you mentioned he took you down to Jacksonville, and you became the head equipment manager there. How much have you two stayed in touch as he has continued through his path uh, to to being a National Hockey League head coach? That's that's funny you ask that question. When uh, I came back home from Jacksonville, Bruce had called me because he left, uh, uh, I believe it was Grand Rapids, to go open up Trenton. He called me, asked me, did I want to go with him to Trenton? Before he got to Trenton, they had already hired someone. And, you know, he went to Trenton and went to uh, to Boston. Who knows? I could have been with him today if I would have been following him around to up to Trenton. But it's been really special. I, I can call Butch anytime. He called me back right away also. And you've been a part of three championships as well, the the Miran Cup in 2000 and the two Clark Cups in 09 and 14. How special is it to be behind the scenes and be with a group of guys that is able to accomplish something like that and, uh, and be able to 
to to watch the guy skate around the ice with a trophy and and, and hold it yourself. It's a, that's a very special. Uh, the first time I, I won the championships, I was with Jim Howell's team in ninety nine two thousand. That that year will always be my most important and most special uh, championship. Uh, then again, you know, Jacob was born ten days before. To be able to put my newborn baby in the, the championship cup was very very special. That always holds a place in my heart. Um, not you know, not to be slight the two USHL Clark Cups is really really cool also. Um, but, uh, the big honor is, uh, you know, winning the gold medal for Team USA. That, that was a huge, huge honor. I miss today going to those tournaments. And you've worked with a lot of different coaches. Uh, how important is it to develop the relationships with the coaches that you've worked with from, from Butch Cassidy uh, back in the mid nineties through Rod Davidson and Kenny McRae and all the guys you've worked with, uh, up through, you know, the three coaches we've had here with the fuel? It's been very, very special. You have to try to stay on the staying page and, you know, you, you make those, uh, relationships and this and that and, and Bruce Cassidy and, and, uh, I even keep in touch today with Jeff Blashill, the Detroit Red Wings. I could call him and he would call me back right away. It's, it's very, very special for them to be able to call you back. Sometimes, you know, a lot of people won't even waste their time because we're down this lower level, but it, they, they know they, they, they climb the rungs of the ladder as well as I did. I treat this, this league as my, my NHL. Because I'm probably not going to make it now because I'm much older than I, you know, and wanted to be, uh, to get there. Uh, I started out when I was uh, in my thirties, just being an assistant, uh, you know, just as a trainer's assistant, basically as, as they would call a gopher. But yeah, I've made this my, this is, this is my NHL and I've been very fortunate to, uh, to have those championships and meet a lot of nice, really, really good people. What's maybe a favorite story you have from your hockey career? I know you've got a lot. Don't, there, there, there are just many, and it, it's really hard to place one certain one. Um, they're, they're all been special. It, just describe the relationship you have with Doug and this current group of players here. We Doug brings a good uh, group of guys every year. You know, you don't have any uh, really bad apples in the room. That, that makes my day to be really. You know, you want to you want to have fun at your job. You also want to be serious at the same time, and just put put teams together. You know. Hopefully coming out to win a championship here real soon. And yeah, it's been, it's been something. That's Darren Flincham. We know him as Flinchy here in Indy and really everybody uh, who has come through the fuel ice dressing room over the past 25 years. That's how we all know him is, is Flinchy. And uh, he sharpens the skates. He launders the uniforms. He does all all kinds of the behind the scenes work. He fixes and stitches the uniforms, puts the numbers on them. When we get a new player, all kinds of behind the scenes work is what he does to make sure that the players are ready to play when the puck drops and takes care of their sticks and their uniforms and their equipment and their gloves and everything else. And, uh, a good equipment manager is one of the most important people in a uh, hockey dressing room and does not get enough credit for the work they do. So we were glad to uh, bring that conversation with Flinchy to you. And we are glad that you have joined us for this midsummer edition of the Under the Hood podcast. We'll bring you more as the summer goes on. And then, of course, as we get closer to the season, we'll ramp up the podcast and the content a little bit more. Make sure you check out our social media pages. Casey McGaugh does a great job 
letting you know what's going on with the fuel there at Indie Fuel on either Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Also, make sure you renew your season tickets for next season. 36 great nights of hockey coming up. We are really looking forward to those 36 nights of hockey and uh, what we have in front of us. Season 9 for the Indy Fuel is going to be upon us before you know it. October is a lot closer than you think. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Under the Hood. I am the broadcast voice of the Fuel, Andrew Smith. We will see you at the rink. Thanks for going Under the Hood with the Indy Fuel. For more, keep visiting IndyFuelHockey.com.